0: What the Bible teaches unequivocally is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three. It's like the Bible's teaching is that there's not a person in the world, except for Jesus himself, who hasn't sinned. that word sin means missed the mark. Then really what it means is that none of us have always done the best possible thing in action and motivation in every
1: situation. Today, Pastor Daniel is sharing an important and incredibly sad scene that will take place at the end of time. There is vital work to be done. A scroll needs to be opened, but not one person is found to be worthy. Who is worthy? Someone who has never sinned. That right there disqualifies us all, but you won't be discouraged for long. Pastor Daniel alluded to the answer to this problem just now too. Jesus is perfect. He can do what we cannot. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 5 as he begins his message the Lamb, and the Scrolls.
0: So I don't know about you, but I take my roles in this world very seriously. You know, I take being a husband very seriously. I take being a dad very seriously. But what's funny is, is that if you were to catch like a little snapshot of some of my parenting moments, you might not think so. So my four kids, I always joke with my kids that they get the pleasure of growing up in public, even though not a lot of people see them, but I tell stories about them. And, and if at all of my kids, if there was one of my kids that I don't talk about a whole lot from the pulpit, and that's my middle child, my Maranatha, who is just about to graduate from middle school. And I don't tell many stories about Maranatha because like Maranatha is legitimately like the perfect child. <laughs> like the kid who like she leaves her room and the bed is perfectly made like military style everything's put away. You never have to ask her to like empty her part of the dishwasher because it was already done before you got up. She's just that person. And she's so unbelievable that way. But Maranatha is also your classic overachiever. Like she just can't help herself. If they want 22 slides on a project, she's going to give them 26 just because you can, like, if you got to do 22, I'll do four extra. That's who she is. And so, you know, it's the end of the school year and she's graduating from eighth grade right now. But you know how it goes at the end of the school year? Because, like, everyone's, like, kind of done, but nobody's really done. And so the teachers are, like, loading them up with work. And, and my is like, done. And so, because my Marinatha is an overachiever, she can't help but, like, take all of this very seriously. Right? And now I love Maranatha so much, and I I so appreciate who she is. But just yesterday we were talking, and she had like all these assignments about that she has to have due. And and she's literally graduating eighth grade in like six school days. So it's like she's at the end of this thing. And I look at her and I say, Hey, Maranatha, I'll buy you a cake if you don't turn in that assignment. (laughs) And Maranatha just kind of looks at me like she's like, Because she knows that, like, I would get her a cake if she didn't turn in that assignment. Now, right now, I know some of Maranatha's teachers go here to Crossroads and like, oh my God, Pastor, don't do that. But the idea is is that, like, Maranatha takes it so seriously that as her dad, I want her to be like, hey, listen, I realize this assignment, you have to bring it, put it in. But, like, you're getting straight A's, and in, like, eight days, everything you did in middle school is not going to matter anymore. It's like, it's over, Right. But at the same time, if any person heard me say, I'll give you a cake if you fail that class, they'd be like, what kind of a father is this? It reminds me of a number of years ago when well, my son Obadiah, my oldest, when he was playing a competitive basketball. And I'm like, look, I'll take you out for dinner if you fail out of a basketball game. And I did that because he's like, he's, he's a good basketball player, but you know, Obadiah is a nice person. Like he'd be kind of like, I, I don't want to get, I'm like, listen, you need to be aggressive. It's basketball. You got to play good defense, so fouling is good. Now, I'm not saying you should knock someone's head off. I'm not saying you should clothesline somebody, but, like, fouls are good. And I remember I was talking to his coach at the time who goes here to Crossroads. He's like, is it true you told Obadiah you'd take him out for dinner if he fouled out? I'm like, I totally did. He's like, that's a great idea, you know? <laughs> but what's funny is, is you think you're like, how can a pastor tell his kids to foul out of a basketball game? How can a good dad tell their child not to turn in the assignment and you reward them with a cake. Now that's, I want to teach you a word. It's called paradox. Everyone say paradox. Okay, parent, this is important word and we're going to see this all through the text we're going to see today, but this is so important because the paradox is something where two seemingly contradictory ideas, they don't seem to want to go together, but when you really look at them, they, they belong together. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There are a lot of things in life that are indeed black and white, And the Bible, there are things in the Bible that are crystal clear. But apart from those things, one of the biggest struggles we have in our world today is people struggle to hold what seems to be contradictions together. You and I do it. I'm here to tell you, our entire political system is actually designed to not know how to hold tensions together, right? Everyone picks a side, they argue about the side, and they pretend like the other side actually doesn't exist, which if you really think about it, you're like, no, actually they do exist. Like there are contradictory ideas that go together. Now, what's amazing about this is when I was in college studying psychology, I remember they talked about the self-actualization pyramid and the top of the pyramid was the resolution of dichotomies where you can resolve that two things that seem to be contrary actually can happen at the same time. I remember reading that and I took an exam on it and I remember thinking to myself, I have no clue what that means. But what's amazing is at the end of college, I started walking with Jesus, I started reading the Bible, I started realizing that the Bible is a book of tremendous paradox. That there are things in the ways we are called to look at the world because of the scriptures that we find that there are seemingly contradictory ideas that we need to learn how to hold in tension. That it's not often either or, it's actually both and. And we don't really enjoy those. We kind of want it to be like, just give me a place to land and I'll just land there. But our world is full of them. I talked to our staff. I've been talking to our staff about this a lot. This idea that we say that as a church, our job is to embrace the tension, not try and resolve it because we want to resolve things. But so much of life is an embracing of tension. I was just thinking about this because, you know, when you think about when someone goes home to be with the Lord that is both a beautiful thing and a heartbreaking thing at the same time. Like, and you know that. Like, you know, like, you know, it says in the Bible, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But at the same time, it leaves a hole here. We know heaven awaits, but we feel lost. See, that is a paradox. It's like, but what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to be like, oh, all I'm going to do is grieve because I'm missing them. And I'm going to forget that it's a beautiful thing that they're in heaven and in eternity, that there's no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. Every tear is wiped away from every eye. Or what we do is we act like we shouldn't grieve on earth because it's so glorious. And it's like, no, no. It's actually a tension that we manage where we grieve because we love and we lose. But at the same time, we're like, man, they are doing so good right now. I'm so jealous. Like in heaven, you don't got to mow the lawn. There are no moles in heaven. It's like there's, all, you know, there's no exams. There's no like, you know, insurance rate high. There's no gas prices. It's like heaven's going to be rocking and awesome we have to learn that within the kingdom of God, we need to learn how to embrace these tensions. And it's hard for us because it actually feels like we just want to resolve the tension. We want these things to be like nice and easy in their little boxes. But the Bible gives us an alternative script, so to speak, a different way to see the world. And these ideas of being able to hold seemingly contrary ideas in tension is literally on every page of your Bible. And so today... As we're looking at this beautiful scene of heaven in the book of Revelation, we're going to see a number of those paradoxes, and we're going, to, we're going to try and grapple with them together. So open up your Bibles, Revelation chapter 5. We're going to take verses 1 to 7 today. We take the first half of Revelation 5, so if you, I want you to read along so you see where we're getting all this from. So this is what it says in verse 1, Revelation 5. It says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. Now, let me give you the principle that we're gonna kind of explore together, and then we'll kind of break open all these verses, but this is an important point, that really what we learn in these verses is is that no one is worthy. There's no human who's worthy. That's really what we're learning here. Now, this is gonna be a tension that we're gonna manage, and we're gonna talk about it, but you know, the main idea here is that there's no one worthy. Now, if you remember, John has been taken up by the Spirit, and he's got this vision of heaven. Right And remember, initially he was kind of captivated with the throne that was there. Not who was on the throne, but the, all the colors associated with the throne. There was, there was thunders and lightnings, and there was all this light. And then there were these 24 elders who were around the throne. They have these victor's crowns and these white robes. you know. And then we find these four living creatures. And if you missed all this, go back in the archives and look at all the stuff we talked about in Revelation 4. There's these angels, and these angels start crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, they're praising God's holiness. And then when that happens, the 24 elders are like throwing their crowns down and they're praising God. So you have like this beautiful praise course. But now when you move into chapter five, what we hear is that there is someone sitting on the throne and in his right hand, there is this scroll and it's got writing on the inside and the back and it's sealed with seven seals. So there is this, you know, back in the day, they didn't have uh, bindings like we have today. They would use kind of papyrus papers they would roll it up so it's this idea of a scroll and what's interesting is that and I did a lot of research on this this idea that it was written on front on inside and on the back so it's writing on two sides which wasn't really normal in that culture it would be often for the writing to be on the inside of the scroll and be rolled up but it being kind of written on both sides and if you look at some of the research from ancient cultures they would say that if you were selling something It was written on the inside But if it was something that you couldn't sell It was written on both sides Which is very fascinating So whatever this document is For the people who heard this They thought of This is not something It's not like a a buying transaction This is something that was actually not sellable And the fact that it had seven seals on it. Now, if you know your Bible at all, there's this idea of the signet ring. Everybody ever heard of the signet ring if you're reading through your Bible? It was the idea of, it was like how you marked what was yours. And so uh, a landowner or the head of the house would have a signet ring and they would take like a little bit of wax or maybe today we use crayons if, if you're crafty like that. And you heat it up, you put it down and you put like a little imprint in it. What's interesting is that most scrolls would be closed with just one dab. But the idea that there were seven seals on it if you do the research, anytime there was a last will and testament of one of the Roman emperors, it was, always had seven seals. So all of this points to something like, what is this scroll? But we realize that it's got writing on both sides. It's sealed with seven seals. And the simple question is, is who is worthy to open the scroll? Now, everyone wants to know what the scroll is, right? Everyone's like, hey, what's the scroll? Now, what's amazing is, is it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say specifically what it is. But as we move into Revelation 6 and following, each one of the seals gets opened, begins this kind of successive waves of judgment on the earth. And so the most simple explanation for what the scroll is, it's really the unveiling or the revelation of the mystery of God, of God's judgment and how his kingdom is going to come. That's really what the scroll is. And really, by the time you get to the seventh seal, it starts the seventh trumpet. By the time you get to the seventh trumpet, it starts the seven vial judgments. And so all this thing becomes this cascading events that are happening. But really what you find is that this, it's the inheritance of God in all that he has created, and it's how that's all gonna come to pass. That's what the scroll is. And the question is, who is worthy to open the scroll, and to lucid seals and then immediately we find out that nobody either in heaven on earth or those under the earth are worthy and John when he hears this starts to weep that this scroll is no one is worthy now why i think this is so important is because the bible teaches us some very specific things about humanity about people and Whatever your view of humanity as a whole, that shapes the way you see what its destiny is, how it should function in the world. And what the Bible teaches unequivocally is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's Romans chapter three, verse 23. It's like the Bible's teaching is that there's not a person in the world, except for Jesus himself, who hasn't sinned. That word sin means missed the mark. Then really what it means is that none of us have always done the best possible thing in action and motivation in every situation. So I always love it, like, you know, when you're raising kids, you learn a whole lot. And I remember, I'll never forget when uh, Lynn and I, when we, before we came here to Crossroads, we were planting churches. And I'll never forget we were, when we were in the Bay Area of San Francisco, we planted two churches and we were kind of pastoring them at the same time. And I remember at that time, Obadiah was probably like two years old. And they don't call it the terrible twos for nothing. You know? So I remember, like, we, we were renting this facility, and, and like, it was funny, like, because Lynn was, you know, when you're a church planner, it's like everybody, it's all hands on deck. So Lynn was like, we had Obadiah was little, and Maranatha was just born, and there was like, you know, it was eight kids, and Lynn was like doing kids' ministry and running around, and I was preaching and leading worship, and it was just wild and crazy times. But I remember that there was this plant in the kids' ministry area, and all of a sudden, Lynn comes in, and there's a bunch of dirt on the floor. And Obadiah's hand is black as can be. Obadiah, were you in the plant? Nope. Now, do you think for one second any of us taught him how to do that? Like, you're like, well, Fusco, maybe you did. Like, you're going to give your kids cake to, you know, to, to not turn an exam. But like I said, i him like, hey, Obadiah, listen, when you do something you're not supposed to do and you get called on it, definitely deny it. Like, no parent does that. But all of our kids do that anyway. But it's not the kids, right? You know how it is, right? Like the parents, they get caught doing something else. Well, I didn't do that, you know. Honey, did you not put your laundry in the laundry? No, it's in the laundry basket. She sends you like a picture of like next to the bed. There's the socks, you know. It's like we do that all the time, and so that is part of the human condition. Now, what's important to realize is that. Although all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that is not the only thing about who we are as humanity. Because if we want to talk about the paradox, the Bible teaches the complexity of what it means to be human, where on one hand, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us, except for Jesus, has always done those things which pleased our Father in heaven. We have not always lived up, not only to our own highest values of what we think is important, let alone God's perfect values for what he thinks is important. But on the flip side, each one of us were created in the image and likeness of God and were fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us is capable of the most beautiful things as well. I was just talking to someone about this. You know, there was a situation that was going on and, and somebody was in a, in a tough place. And they're like, you know, the, my church family, speaking of Crossroads, like, it's unbelievable how much they rallied. I'm like, yeah, when life is the worst, the church is the best. People rally. People do the most incredibly self-sacrificial things. You know, and the beauty of it is, is that if all we get is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Or other verses that speak like our our own depravity, things like in Jeremiah where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? The Lord of hosts knows it. If all we do is have a negative view of humanity, we've actually resolved the tension because all through the scriptures, we have these beautiful examples of people doing amazing things. Where Jesus praises people for their faith. Where you're here at the end of the day, well done, good and faithful servant, when you simply respond to Jesus. And so what we need to do is not, because what people want to do today is like, people are horrible, they are evil, or people are amazing and wonderful and perfect. And the Bible says no to either of those sides. God's like, look, I want you to embrace this reality that not only you and I, but everybody is both extraordinary and treacherous. We do amazing things and then horrible things. You have a great week and a horrendous Friday night. You have a great Friday night, horrendous Sunday morning. Like, listen, straight up, some of us are going to leave church today, and you're going to get mad at someone leaving the parking lot. All the parking folks are like, I know, like, you're like, hey, turn to the right. Like, I'm going to the left. You're like, you just worship Jesus. Like, <laughs> go to the right. Like, it's okay. But it's how it goes. And it's a tension that we all need to learn how to manage. And I'm going to tell you, when you love Jesus, we just become more aware with the, the contradictions in our character. Like I love Jesus, and there are times when I'm processing life can be com- incredibly faithless. And then you're like, well, food but you're, you're the pastor. It's like, yeah. Sometimes when I my first thought on a situation is, this is never gonna work. I, I, like, this is a bad idea. Like, we're going, it's going down, you know. And then the Lord's like, Daniel, it's not going down. I'm right here. What do you This is my job. And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, Lord. And we have to learn how to hold our understanding of humanity with this tension of who we really are, not overly optimistic or persistently pessimistic, but this complex that we are, that no one is worthy to receive the scroll from God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But at the same time, we're all capable of pretty extraordinary and beautiful things. And we need to move in the world in that same way. Now, I realize that like I prepped this message in its most basic form months ago, and I realize that I get the distinct or unique pleasure of sharing this today, given the events that we've had as a society, mass shootings all year. And what we're apt to do when we see the evil of humanity is we jump to one side or the other. But we have to learn how to not try and resolve the tension because it makes us feel in control but to realize that God is in control and that all of us are a collection of good things and horrible things. Now we might never do some of the most horrendous things that ever happened and praise God for that. But all of us have the capacity to be dishonest, vindictive, angry. We all have the capacity to lash out. And when we look at what it means to be human in the light of who God is, we have to embrace the fact that all of us are flawed. On our best days, we're still fatally flawed. And it's why Jesus is the hope for all of humanity. Amen. The best one of us on the best day with the best track record is one foul or off thought away from Busting that whole thing up. It's inevitable. And so we realize this is why Jesus is so important. Because when it comes to the unfolding of the inheritance of God in this world, the purposes of God for all of humanity, there is not one person who's been glorified in heaven, not one person who is both alive, saved, and unsaved on the earth, and not one person who is under the earth, which is a euphemism for being. Damned! Not one person is worthy to open school. And John is literally overcome with emotion because of that. But you realize that the story doesn't end there at all because look at what happens in verse 5. What's the first word there? But. I call that the glorious buts of the Bible. I don't know why people giggle. What buts are you thinking of? Anyway. (laughs) It's a contrasting word. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, verse 6, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth.
1: Jesus is We are all sinful. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. Even one tiny fleeting thought that isn't aligned with God's views is sin, period. That may sound harsh, but how can you compare to a perfect God? He has never and will never be wrong. Pastor Daniel reminded you today that this sin is what's separating you from God. And there's no way to bridge the gap except Jesus, God's son, has bridged the chasm. His death on the cross was all that was needed. You simply need to accept him as your stand-in. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy,
0: and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com.
1: Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time, Pastor Daniel will continue explaining why Jesus is needed in your life. He'll remind you that while you are sinful, with Jesus you can be better. You have the capacity to do good and to be a reflection of God. But you need Jesus to do this. With him and through his power alone, all things are possible. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called A Year of Revelation next time. Until then, may God bless.